Last week, we took a little bit of a detour away from our Simon Peter sermon series to talk specifically about how we respond in the face of this coronavirus and COVID-19, what's happening in our world. But today, I want us to get back to the Simon Peter series. Uh, we are on part five today, but just a review where we've been. Uh, in the first message for, with uh, Dr. Anna Robbins, uh, she talked about leaving the boats and how Peter uh, was called by Jesus and this huge decision that he made uh, to, to begin to follow Jesus, to, to leave behind the life he knew and follow Christ. And then in, in the second week, we talked about witnessing miracles and how early in Jesus' ministry it was these signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus was doing that, that firmed up for Peter uh, his, his faith in Christ and, and how Jesus is still doing miracles today and, and, and how that affirms our faith. Uh, the week after that, we talked about walking on the water when Peter got out of the boat with Jesus. He had this courageous moment. Uh, even though he faltered, that he 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 took the the step of of faith uh, and and got out of his comfort zone and and followed Jesus and walked on the water with him. Amazing. And then Pastor Hannah shared a sermon on confessing when when Peter is able to fully recognize who Jesus is away from all the crowds and all the craziness and all the miracles, just to confess that Jesus is Lord. So our imperfect disciple Peter has thus far proven himself to be pretty courageous faith-filled and insightful, minus a few shortcomings. But in today's scripture, we do see Peter coming up short when Jesus needed him. And today's message is sleeping in the garden. I don't know about you, uh, if you've ever fallen asleep in class before in school, maybe when you went to school or if you're currently going to school, if you're one of those people that fall asleep in class. There was always a few people that I remember in various classes I was in who were notorious for falling asleep. Um, uh, I have a friend who can fall asleep anywhere and pretty well does fall asleep anywhere. One time we were on a missions trip to Cuba and we were having like meetings with like important church people and just even like just sitting in a circle and he would like fall asleep during the meetings. Very inappropriate time to fall asleep. Uh, last year I went to the one conference with the youth group from Perth Andover Baptist Church and here's a picture of me that was taken during one of the worship services. Yeah, you can see I was really engaged <laughs> in what was happening. Uh, this is actually not the first time I fell. I fell asleep twice during the one conference. And I love this picture because that kid looking at me, he's not even with our group. I don't even know who he is. But he's just like, uh, he's observing the fact that I was falling asleep. Uh, I like my sleep. But there are inappropriate times to fall asleep. And in today's story, we're, in today's story, we're going to see uh, Simon Peter and the other disciples falling asleep on Jesus at a time when he needed them to be awake, when he needed them to be alert. And the key lesson is this, when Jesus and others need you, don't go falling asleep on them. When Jesus and others need you, don't go falling asleep on them. And by the way, I'm keenly aware of the fact that every once in a while I might lick my fingers to turn my page. I had some people that mentioned that last week. I'm trying not to do that, but it's probably going to happen. Okay, uh, let's read the scripture today, Matthew 26, uh, and starting at verse 36. If you have a Bible at home, grab your Bible and follow along with us. But the scriptures will also be on the screen behind me. So this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane, this is just a, it's, a, it's very, very close to the city of Jerusalem. 
If you're in Jerusalem, there's like this little valley called the Kidron Valley with this little stream, the Kidron, Kidron stream that flows through it. And on the other side of this Kidron stream is where the Mount of Olives is and the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. Um, uh, it's, you, you go across the little stream and then there's all these tombs that are in, in the walls uh, of, of the cliffs and stuff that are there still today, graveyards, uh, and, and then this Garden of Gethsemane. And this is a place that Jesus often went with his disciples. Uh, we're told in John's account, this was a, a regular meeting place for them. So that's where they are, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, uh, Jesus says, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And as he came, and sorry, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. If we read in John's version of this story, uh, all four Gospels tell this story. In John's account, he mentions that this one who was with them happens to be Peter, the Apostle Peter. It was Peter who did this. And the, actually, it also tells us that the name of the servant of the high priest is Malchus. Okay, so let's keep going. So that Peter does this, cuts off the ear, and I lost my spot. Here we go. Then Jesus said to him, to Peter, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? A legion was about 6,000 Roman soldiers, so if you times that by twelve, you get literally 72,000 angels, Jesus says. He could have called to be there. Uh, in other words, Jesus is saying, an entire angel army is at my disposal, and if I wanted to, I could call them, I could summon them, 
and in a split second they would be here to rescue me from all that's happening. But how then, Jesus says, if I did that, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? This was all prophesied, the death of Jesus, the suffering of Christ had to take place. At that hour, Jesus also said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But, again, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. All right, now, before we talk about Peter, let's just acknowledge what's going on with Jesus here. We're only two weeks away from Easter right now. We're in this season of Lent leading up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. These events recorded in the Gospels are some of the most important moments in human history. We've been talking so much lately about hope, right? Everyone's talking about hope and the hope that we have as Christians. Well, all of that hope that we have is because of what Jesus did for us. All of our peace, all of our hope, all of our joy, our promise and guarantee of eternal life is all directly connected to the suffering of Jesus 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And when Jesus is arrested in the garden that night, that was the beginning of a chain of events that would lead to his crucifixion by the Romans. So he takes his disciples, 11 of them. Of course, Judas has gone off uh, after the Last Supper, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And when you stand today in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's still there. In fact, there's a couple of trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that they've dated to about 2,000 years ago. So it could have been the very trees that Jesus was, was sitting under. Um, anyway, when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane today and you look towards the city of Jerusalem, it is right there in front of you. Like it's, It is it's less than a kilometer away for sure, probably about half a kilometer away, the Temple Mount, from where you are in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's right there. And so in Jesus' day, as he would have looked out from the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have seen this massive temple right there in front of him. And so that's where he is, and he invites the, the, all the disciples to come with him. But he invites his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, to come with him further than the rest. If you read in verse 37, it says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. In, in the, New, in the uh, New Living Translation, it says, My soul, Jesus says, My soul is crushed. In verse 38, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. In, in uh, the New Living, it says, My soul is crushed with grief even to the point of death. And to this point in the life of Jesus, we've never seen him suffering so badly. And he instructs Peter, James, and John in verse 38, the second half, he says to them, Remain here. And watch with me. What does he tell them to do? He tells them to remain here. Next slide. Remain here with me. Watch with me. And then a little bit later on, he adds, pray with me. He tells them to stay here. Remain with me. Stay awake. Watch with me. And pray. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus uh, going off and having prayer time. And the normal thing was that he went off by himself to pray. But here, 
He's asking these three, the same three that went up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, to come with him, to come alongside him in his time of sorrow, to be present with him, to be prayerful with him. And it does say that he goes a little bit farther away from them to pray, but um, the other disciples were a ways off, but they were still close. And close enough, likely, that they would have heard him praying, because the normal Jewish practice was to pray out loud. And so they should have been able to hear him praying, and Jesus was asking them to pray with him. And it says that he fell on his face, Jesus gets down on the ground in the dirt, and his prayer to the Father is, is basically, my Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to go through this. Nevertheless, he says, not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done. In Luke's account of this story, in the Gospel of Luke, he gives us even more detail. Luke is a medical doctor, we, we understand. Uh, so Dr. Luke always seems interested in sharing more detail about people's condition. And he tells us that Jesus was in agony. He uses that word, agony. And it says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, some people uh, say that that means that literally he had like blood vessels bursting because of the stress. And there's some, if you, you know, Google it, there's some scientific condition where that can happen, where you can be under such immense stress that, that uh, blood vessels begin to break in your skin and you can actually sweat blood, apparently. Um, that may be what's happening. Others say it was just a massive sweat, you know, that it was like it was blood, because um, the word like is in there. We don't know. Either way, the point is the same. He was under immense stress. Agony. Under immense sorrow, mental and emotional and spiritual anguish. Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, and yet also fully man, is praying to the Father to remove this cup from him. He doesn't want to drink from this cup that the Father has given him. Now, what is this cup all about? Or as I heard one preacher ask it, what's in that cup that Jesus doesn't want to drink it? I visited uh, Kenya. You can leave that slide up, please. My trusty assistant over here. Um, uh, when I visited, visited Kenya in 2008 with CBM, uh, one of the things I learned quickly is that the Kenyan people love to drink coffee, and they love to serve coffee to their guests. Now, I hate coffee. I hate coffee with a passion. I don't even like the smell of coffee. I'll eat a coffee crisp, but that's it. Uh, at this, uh, now we were visiting this uh, project, this uh, work project, this beautiful outdoor farming project by Guardians of Hope. We were under this, I can, I can still picture, we're under this stand of trees, and, and it's just this, they set up these big, long tables outside, uh, and they served us lunch in this place. It was a beautiful African day uh, in, the, in the, the spring. It was just, a, it was wonderful. Uh, and they served us coffee. Now, we were told by our, by our CBM people that it's very rude not to drink what they serve you. That it's seen as, if, you, if they want to serve you coffee and then you say, no, thank you, that hurts their feelings. It's very rude. It's disrespectful. So uh, somehow up to this point in our trip, I had managed to avoid the coffee. Uh, but 
sure enough, some dear woman came along and she took my cup and she filled it full of coffee. So what am I going to do? Because I really hate coffee. So we were outside and I thought, I've got an idea. I looked down at the ground and I figured I could probably pour my coffee out without them noticing. Um, <laughs> that was probably the wrong thing to do. But anyway, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So I took my cup of coffee and I sort of gently put it down beside me and waited for just the right moment and, you know, poured a little bit out and a little bit more and a little bit more and, and kind of scuffled up the ground underneath so that it wouldn't be obvious that I did that. And I thought, all right, I have won and I have not had to drink that coffee. Well, sure enough, this dear lady who served me the coffee, she comes back with the coffee pot and she says, oh, you enjoy the coffee, please have more, have more. And she filled it up again. <laughs> there was no way around it. I was gonna have to drink this thing. Now, one of the more experienced uh, CBM persons uh, leaned over to me and said, Michael, the trick is just drink a little bit. Uh, to be respectful, but not enough that they'll come and refill your cup. Good move. But I had to drink it, whether I liked it or not. Now, back to the story of Jesus. Jesus didn't want to drink this cup, but he knew I have to drink it. This was necessary to complete his mission. The prophecies had foretold this for generations. He had to drink this cup. What was in the cup. What was this all about? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, if you look up this idea of cups and suffering and what, what that all means, the cup, cups in the Old Testament symbolize the wrath of God. The cup of God's wrath, the Bible would talk about, would be, talks about, will be poured out on nations and people who rebelled against him. As much as we don't like that kind of terminology this day and age, um, this, this was what was Jesus was thinking about, the idea of God's wrath, this suffering because of sin that Jesus knew was coming as he approached the cross. The cup included all of the physical pain that he was about to suffer, the events that were about to unfold, the bruising, the beating, the whipping, the bleeding, the splinters in his back from the rough-hewn lumber of the well-used cross he had to carry, the nails driven through his hands and his feet, the struggle to breathe, hanging naked in the hot sun on a cross. All of that lie ahead for him. and his divine nature, he was able to see what was going to happen. But there was also a spiritual reality of what was going to happen that I believe is what truly caused him such agony and anguish in the garden that night. Because in a few hours, as he neared the point of death, all of the wickedness of the world, all of the sinfulness of humanity, all the murder, all the rape, all the hatred, all the scorn, all the gossip, all the perversion all of it, all the sin, from the first sin in the Garden of Eden to all the future sins of the world that haven't even happened yet today, all of that horrible, horrific sin was going to be loaded on and loaded into Jesus of Nazareth as he hung on the cross. 
This is what the prophet Isaiah foretold a thousand years before. It may have been one of the prophecies that Jesus had in mind as he talked about the fact that the prophets foretold his suffering. It says this in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he, this is referring to the coming Messiah, who we understand as Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The reason he was so sorrowful in the garden was because he, was, he knew he was going to be carrying our sorrows and our grief. Yet we esteemed him stricken, even though it was our sin and our grief and our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was the one who took the punishment. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And then... Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. Everyone, every one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The cup of wrath Jesus was going to bear all of this wickedness on himself. He would be the scapegoat for all of humanity, the sacrificial lamb for our sin. And Jesus prayed, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But then he prays this most wonderful prayer. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He could have summoned an army of angels to come and stop it all, but no. His love was too great. Three times he prays this prayer. He wrestles with the Father, his human nature wrestling with his divine nature. But he submits his human nature to his divine calling because Jesus is God and God is love. And so he knows he has to go through this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And anyone who is willing to receive this message of Jesus' love, to accept our own sinfulness and to repent of our sin and to believe in Jesus as the Savior, to, to accept that his work on the cross has accomplished our salvation, that will be applied to your life through simple faith. You'll be forgiven of all of your wickedness, your guilt, your sin, your shame, set free, washed clean, and given eternal life, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So in the end, Jesus goes willingly with his captors, even stopping Peter and others from trying to defend him, and even still ministering in the midst of his own suffering, healing the ear of this guy that Peter lobs off this guy's ear, and he heals his ear. A guy who was part of the group that was coming to arrest him. One of his enemies. And there's, even in the chaos, next slide, even in the chaos and confusion, even in the middle of that, Jesus brings healing. Even in that, he's loving his enemies. I just love that about Jesus. Okay, so that's what's happening with Jesus in this scene all of this anguish and suffering that he's experiencing as he prepares for this moment on the cross when he's going to carry all of the sins of the whole world on himself. 
But now let's go back to Peter and the others. This is the series about Simon Peter, by the way. So what's Peter doing in, in this moment? Well, Jesus has asked him to remain here, to stay, stay awake, stay alert, watch with me. <clears throat> Jesus goes and prays this agonizing prayer. So what are the, what are the boys doing when Jesus is doing that? Well, <clears throat> and he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping, sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? He's pretty disappointed. Three times in a row, Jesus does this. Now, I wrestled with this scripture for about two weeks. Uh, there are so many things that I could say about it. I could preach a sermon on almost every verse. Um, and uh, maybe you're thinking, he already is. This is going on for a long, long time. I'm sorry. I'm trying my best to keep it brief. Uh, but what I really want us to understand, as I said earlier, is simply this. When Jesus and others need you, don't go falling asleep on them. Not only did Jesus invite Peter and James and John to be with him and to watch with him and to pray with him in his time of sorrow and suffering, he invites all of us, he invites all of us to do the same. Jesus is inviting us to participate in his suffering. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. We have it written in huge letters across the sanctuary of our church. Take up your cross and follow me. That's not an invitation to an easy life, taking up a cross. That's committing to a life of personal sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. Saying to, to someone to take up a cross would be like saying, take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up your lethal injection and follow me. It's, a, it's, it's an invitation to come and, and die to yourself. It, we, you know, we often think about following Jesus as an invitation to come and experience life. And that is absolutely true. In fact, that's the whole theme of the Gospel of John is, is that when we come to Jesus, we experience life. But it's also, at the same time, an invitation to come and be Jesus' disciple and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he was an amazing figure in history. Anyone who knows his story, he was a German theologian and pastor uh, in, the, uh, in the early 1900s and uh, during the period when Hitler came to power. And uh, he was very opposed to, to Hitler and to, and to Nazi Germany and uh, started actually a, a church uh, that was uh, separate from the state church because the state church went along with Nazism, um, and so he broke off from that and started his own his own church. Uh, and he was and he was writing uh, against uh, the theology of of Hitler and all these things. He was an amazing man, um, and he ended up actually uh, being killed by the Nazis, uh, executed for uh, his stance, um, and and was killed just a few days before the war ended. Sadly, but he wrote lots of wonderful things. Uh, and in one of his books called The Cost of Discipleship, he said this, When Jesus calls a man, he bids him, come and die. What he means by that, and what I'm talking about, is not come and literally physically die, although that may happen, and it does happen in a lot of parts of the world where the church is persecuted, where people are literally dying for their stance for Jesus. But for us, in our context, this means denying yourself. This means putting aside your own desires 
to, in order to follow Jesus. That's part of discipleship. That's part of what it means to be a Christian, to, to die to ourselves and to surrender ourselves entirely to the will of God. We talked a few weeks ago about getting out of the boat. And it's the same message. Don't fall asleep on Jesus. I know you're tired. And I know that life is hard for you too. It is. It's hard for me too. But Jesus needs you to stay awake. He's asking you to pray. He wants you to join him in his ministry. A.W. Tozer, another great old theologian author, he said, It is perfectly possible for a good, faithful, loyal church member to be spiritually asleep, being in a spiritual state that parallels natural sleep. I don't know about you, but I have been in that spot myself, where I have been going through the motions uh, of, of religion and of duty to the church and haven't felt spiritually awake. That's very normal and very common. But this morning... I am giving you a spiritual wake-up call. This is your spiritual wake-up call. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, says this, and I'm going to read from the message, paraphrase. It says this, Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Get out of the boat. Christ will show you the light. So, watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Amen. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants or what God's will is. These are desperate times. Wake up from your sleep. Just as Jesus invites us to be present with him in his suffering, awake and alert to his will, to watch and pray. He invites us also to participate in the suffering of others. He called Peter, James, and John to come and be with him, to, to participate in his suffering. And now he also calls us to participate in the suffering of others, to be present, to be paying attention, to be wide awake to the needs of people around us who are suffering. What better time to be reminded of that than right now, in the midst of this present moment of suffering that the whole world is experiencing? Church, this is not the time to fall asleep. In this picture again. This is not the time to fall asleep. And it's not the time for us to be taking up swords like Peter did and fighting against the authorities. There's a, a beautiful painting of that moment. Um, you know, some Christians are, are, are doing that, right? Maybe they're not sleeping. Maybe they're on the opposite extreme where they're, they're, they're in defiance of the government and, you know, these days and, and, and still meeting and all these things that people are doing. I talked a little bit about that last week, how we can't be doing that as well. Peter went from one extreme to the other in the story. He was asleep on Jesus and the next minute he was freaking out. Uh, we can't be like that. No, this is not the time, next slide, to sleep in our beds or take up our swords. This is the time to get up and pray and take up our cross. To love people unconditionally 
as Jesus did, even as we remain physically distant. Jesus told his disciples in verse 45, he told them, you can sleep later. There's a time to sleep, but it's not right now. This is a time to be awake and alert to the opportunities God gives us to share the love and hope we have in Jesus Christ to a world filled with anxiety and fear. Can I get an amen in the comments? Let me close by telling you a story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a call uh, from the hospital here at the church, and uh, it was a social worker, and she asked if I could come and talk to a patient at the hospital who was dying and was asking to see a minister. She told me that he's afraid to die and that he wants to know how he can go to heaven. And I thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity that God is giving me to go and, and share the gospel with someone on their deathbed. So I went, and when I got there, uh, the social worker and the wife of the man who was dying both told me that they had tried to contact multiple ministers to come and see him in the last couple of days at that point, and nobody came. I couldn't believe it. They told me that one of the ministers said they were going to come, didn't show up. Another one they called said he was too busy. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. A dying man who was looking for hope and asked for someone to come and to share with him how to get to heaven, to share with him about Jesus. Those are the times when you drop everything and you go. Long story short, I was able to share the gospel with this man and to lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. And he told me after, he said, I feel so much better. He passed away two days after that. And I can tell you right now that he's with the Lord in heaven because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But that opportunity was almost missed. And I want to say, how many more people are there today like that man in the hospital who are afraid, who are looking for hope, looking for answers, and hoping that maybe somebody will come and show them the way? Stay awake. Remain with Jesus. Watch with him. Pray with him. Love like he loved us. Keep your eyes open to the people around you who might just be inviting you to come alongside them in their suffering. And maybe God will use you to be a person of healing and hope in the midst of the chaos. Let us pray. Lord God, we, we thank you so much for this time we've had to hear from your word and for this true story of what Jesus went through for us. The fact that he was willing to bear our sins, our shame on his shoulders, to take all of that upon himself, to set us free from our sin. We thank you, God. We can't say thank you enough. Father, we are mindful that we are called to a ministry that is difficult at times. We are called to a life of sacrifice, of dying to ourselves. God, in the midst of this world we live in today, there is a great need for us to minister to the needs of others. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be creative, 
to, to learn how to do that, whether it's through our community care ministry or in other ways, Lord, phone calls. Uh, but ways, Lord, that we can be, we can be self-sacrificing uh, to help those who are suffering. And Father, there may be some who are hearing this today who are suffering. All of us, Lord, are finding this period of time challenging. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to minister to us. And that uh, those of us who are part of the church, that we would come alongside one another and, and support one another and encourage one another in these days. God, uh, there are many people out there who don't know Jesus yet. And we pray today that you would use the church wherever you've planted us to be a light for you, to share your love, to be, to be sources of healing and hope in the midst of the chaos, just like Jesus was in those days. So God, we thank you again. We thank you for the love, the immensity of your love, the unfailingness of your love, the unconditional nature of your love, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, it's hard to even process how grand your love is. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.